So this guy, his relationships with this area, the River Valley and, and Grace Church and our history run deep. If you've never been here when he's ministered with us, uh, buckle up and, and lean in. Yeah? All right. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I am glad to be with you. I asked for a handheld because I'm a little active. And if I get a little passionate, I can remove the mic away from my mouth so that I can still honor you but still be passionate. You know, um, I wanted to say thank you so much to Pastor Zach for having me out again. Um, I've had the opportunity over the last couple months to get to know him via Marco Polo. Seems like it's a nice little cultural thing y'all got going on here that I've adopted in my culture. Uh, but it is something that's been a joy to get to know you. Uh, I told him I've, uh, you know, obviously because I have ties to this church and to my family being a part of this, I have never actually taken time to get to know Pastor Zach. And it's uh, not because we didn't like each other or didn't want to. We just never were in situations and scenarios where we could get to know each other. So I've been honored to get to know you. You have a great heart. And uh, I believe your humility will continue to see the flow of God's grace in your life. And so I'm excited to be here today and honored. So how are we doing? Are we good? Um, you know, I just have to say uh, COVID was intense and I mean, is intense, if you will. But this pandemic world was it was it shook so many of us. And I think if you look at the church today, there were some good things and some bad things that came out of the church. And even the bad things that came out of the church, I, I wonder if they're actually a good thing because we kind of realize where we are. The divisions within the body of Christ, the polarization. Um, I, was I was interested, to, there was a conversation about the church uh, having unity and we needed to unify. And I realized from the polarization that we're seeing and the division that we see throughout the body of Christ, the question is, what are those things that we should be unified on? What are those things that we should be finding common ground together? Uh, just because you don't agree with me or I don't agree with you on certain issues doesn't make you a heretic or me a heretic, right? Does somebody say amen to that? We have to find common ground and we find it in Jesus. We find it at the cross. We find it in discipleship. We find it in a sacrificial life. And so today, not really what I'm talking about, but I want you to come with the mindset of like, I don't know everything, neither do you. And we need to have a heart to say, God, I want to know you, and I want to know your purpose and plan for me and the context in which I live in and how I can display your heart on the world. Can we pray and then get into the word? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just praise you and thank you for your faithfulness that despite what's going on in our world with the upheaval of everything, you remain steadfast, you remain holy and righteous, set apart, and yet so near and close to us. Thank you for what you have done through the work of Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name today that you would be with us, that you would minister through me for us as a community and for those that are watching online. I pray that you would uh, pierce our hearts with your truth and divide between error and truth, that we would come away with an understanding of your heart for us to live in the newness of life that you have provided in Christ. 
I pray that by the way of your spirit, we would have an encounter with you today, that we would be marked. Uh, we release uh, ourselves of any kind of control on the service and on our ideas of the way we think that you should operate in us today and in our lives. We give you, Holy Spirit, free reign to bring freedom because where you are, there is freedom. And we have given, uh, you have given us freedom to stand in freedom. And so we welcome you to move in our midst and speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so I know you all are participating in a season of Lent. Uh, Lent being a time to reflect, to repent, prepare your heart for the upcoming celebration of the Resurrection Sunday. And uh, so this year I decided to do something a little different. Um, I was talking with Pastor Zach and I asked him, hey, do you have anything on your heart? And he's like, you know, whatever God tells you. But here is uh, something that you can look at. It's kind of like the weekly scriptures during Lent. And so I said, you know, I'm going to look through that. And I read through it a few times. And uh, as you can, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the Bible talks about how there is the manifold grace of God or the manifold wisdom of God. It's talking about there are many facets to his wisdom, many facets to his grace. Well, if that is true, then when it comes to God, he has many facets. There's not just one way to understand the truth. Many times God is trying to give you a fuller picture. And then when it starts, kind of like mathematics, you know, when we start in school, it's basic addition. And then when you get to algebra and geometry and all that stuff that I hated, you know, it was one of those things that you're building upon something that you started with, but it's all coming down to the basics of one starting point. And so when we look at this, I said there's so many things we could get from the Lent scripture reading, but I thought, Lord, what are you speaking that I could bring today? And so I found a theme that was woven throughout these passages that I wanted to talk to you about today. I'm going to go quickly over those scriptures in case you're not familiar with that. Uh, the first one is Exodus 21 through 17, which is the Ten Commandments which God gave Moses. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later, so just put a pin in it. Psalm 19, a psalm of David. The first six verses talk about the glory and the goodness of God revealed in creation. Reminds me of how Romans 1 talks about that no one will be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know you existed. I didn't know that you, were, you, that you, that you created this world. I, I, was an, I, I thought that this all was just a big bang theory or whatever. He's going to say, no, even creation testifies of who I am and what I have done. Uh, the verse 7 through 11 in Psalm 19 talks again about the commandments of God, the law of God, and how it was faultless. Reminds me when Paul told the Roman church, and he also told Timothy about how the law is holy, it's good, it's just. And then in the, the church of Galatia, he said, if there was a, 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 a righteousness, the, a way in which life could come through the law, then it would have come through the law. The law is not a negative thing. Can we say Amen. I know most of our upbringings, if we talk about the Old Testament or the commandment, we're just like, oh, so legalistic. Thank God for Jesus. Yes, thank God for Jesus. But the law was never bad. It was the way in which we lived out the law or looked at the law that became bad. Verse 12 through 14 deals with the reality of our wickedness apart from God, yet David desires for redemption to be restored back to the way God intended. The third part of the reading of Lent, week three, is 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25, which basically talks about the power of the gospel, foolishness to the unbeliever, but the power of God to those who believe. Reminds me of Romans 1, 16. It says, you know, 
that we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for all those who believe. Do you understand that the word of God, the power of the gospel, does not work in your life unless you choose to believe it and continue to believe it? A lot of times when you're looking at the scripture or in the New Testament, the, when it uses the word believe, it's talking about I believe and I continue to believe. Because how many of you do understand that when we face things in life, there's going to be something that's going to challenge you to continue to believe that thing. Is Jesus really who he said he is? Did he really do what he said he was going to do? And then the last is John 2, 13 through 22, which is the cleansing of the temple. Again, reiterates the message of 1 Corinthians 1.18. So the theme that I saw that I want to talk about today, I've titled this message, A Costly Gospel. Because what I was seeing woven through those scriptures was God gives life. And from his life that he has given, he now is looking for us to live in a new way of living, a new way of life. It is this God life that he has called us to. When I, talk, when, I, I, when I was thinking about a costly gospel, I kept thinking about it is something of great worth and value. And it is also something is worth giving your life to everything that you have to obtain it. When we talk about the life of God, I know we have varying opinions and views, especially in the 21st century Western culture when we look at Christianity. But we can all agree if we are of sound mind and we believe what the scriptures say, that God is good. He intends good because he loved us so much that he sent Jesus. Jesus goes all the way to the completion of his work here on earth. And he died for us, replacing us, replacing for us the, the sacrifice that was required of us. And then he is raised from the dead and he is giving us an opportunity to walk in close relationship with him. We, we have an opportunity to live in a new way now because of the life that he has provided for us. So let's talk about this. I want to get into this. <clears throat> Are you excited? I, I know I go a little bit faster than, than Pastor Zach, but it's okay. It'll be all right. Uh, I just is part of the, the ministry that God's called me to. I minister with a lot of young people a lot of time and they're like, will you please speed up, go faster. And we're saying, yes, in between. Exodus. So the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments speak of a new way of life. It speaks of covenant relationship. Have you ever thought about that? So let's look real quick. Exodus 20, verse 2. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then verse 3, he says, you shall not. So God immediately establishes three things right from the get-go. It says who he is, what he has done, and what your response should be, what you should do. So essentially you could read it like this. <clears throat> I am the Lord your God. I am Adonai. It is the <clears throat> personal name. It's found over 6,000 times in the Old Testament, and one could argue over 7,500 times in the whole Bible. But he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Okay, so do you understand that he establishes first, I am God, and I am the one who has given you life. I am the one who has set you free. I, it's not you, and anything that I'm about to say, there's nothing you can do, it's already happened. That's beautiful news for us when we think about the cross of Jesus Christ. It was 2,000 years ago. It already happened. He already set us free. We have to make the decision to believe that it has already happened. Okay? So he's saying before he gives any command of what to do, 
He says, I am Adonai. I am the Lord your God. And I am the one who sets you free. And then he says, therefore, because of that, this is what you should and should not do because you are in covenant relationship with me. Do you see that? Man, it takes a lot of pressure off of the commandments. Now it's like we don't have to do those things to be in relationship. Okay? He said, I am God. I have set you free. Now do this to represent me well. Represent that you are truly in covenant relationship by doing these things. This should have been a joyful thing. But the thing that we need to look at is that in order for you to live out the commandments of God, okay, there was a way in which you lived before he delivered you, and then there's a way after that you are to live after you have been delivered. This is the new way of life, kind of nuance and imagery for what we're going to see with Jesus. So now Jesus, I love this. In Matthew 28, right before he ascends to be with the Father again, he has his disciples and he gives them a command, a final command. We've called it the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples. Most of us have heard it. But what's really interesting is this word, go. Now, both in the Greek and the transliteration in the Hebrew, it literally just means to go, to go on a journey. <clears throat> However, this is a transliteration of a Hebrew word. And that Hebrew word, the uh, metaphorical or the transferred sense of this word means it speaks of the ways of God on, on which man should go on the basis of covenant. Here's another way we can see it. Look at it in Proverbs 6.23. It says, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So essentially, if we were just going to translate it in English, he could just say, uh, the disciplines are the go. Go on a journey. That's because, you remember, the Hebrew, if you're not familiar, the Hebrew language has less words than most other languages. And so each word is packed with so many definitions. It's very, has many, it's multidimensional. So this word, whenever it was used, it really spoke about the ways of God that you should go on because you're in covenant relationship with him. Not the ways you should go to get to God, but because you're in relationship with God, this is how you should walk. If the foreigner wanted to walk with God, he had to be circumcised and he would be known, he would be seen as a part of the people of Israel and he could walk in the ways of God based on that covenant. Are you with me? Now, Jesus kind of makes the same statement and we see it throughout all of Proverbs. Here's one just to throw out you to, you know, let you see. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death. In the Hebrew, it means ways of death. So essentially, there are ways in which we are naturally bent. There are ways that you think when you look at the commandments of God and go, yeah, I don't really like that. That doesn't really sound good to me, so I'm not going to do it. If you go on your way, it will lead to death. The ways of God lead to life. He is from life to life, not life to death. But when Jesus says it, he's reiterating a principle found throughout the word of God that there is a way that leads to life and there is a way that leads to death. He's reiterating what the Jewish people, the Hebrew people had already learned about when you hear this word, it's referring to the ways of God. So even when he goes and tells his disciples to go and make disciples, he's saying, go make disciples in the way of life, the way that I am showing you. Go now and make those disciples. 
So what about this costly gospel thing? Well, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we desire a gospel that requires nothing substantial from us. We love going, well, Jesus did it all, so I don't have to do anything. Or we like the Old Testament, well, God delivered us, so we are good. We want the promises of God without conditions. We want the pleasure without responsibility. We want the, flavor, the favor and the blessing without sacrificial obedience. But the question is, is this the criteria that Jesus laid out for his followers? Is this what he said being a follower looks like? Is that we just, we, just, we just receive his grace and we're good to go? Or is there something of a new way of life that may require all of us to obtain? I want to say this so you don't, no confusion here. It doesn't mean that if you have only given your life in partiality that you won't receive the partial blessing or some of the life of God. That is very possible. But what I'm saying is God intended for you to experience the fullness of his life, the fullness of his heart. Listen, when, when Jesus said it was finished, he said it is completely paid for, nothing else is needed. He meant it is completely done. I don't need you to add anything to it. But with that, he was also saying the complete life of God is now available for those who want it in its entirety. Have you ever been so hungry? You're ready to eat a big old meal, wherever your favorite restaurant or your wife cooking or your husband cooking, okay? Your favorite place. And did you ever think to yourself, oh, I'm just going to have some of the peas and I'll be good for the day? Uh, you know, it's kind of... <laughs> I was talking to my church recently, and we were talking about the value of the Word of God and how God wants to speak to you through His Word, so read your Word. And I just thought it was funny for those of you who love devotionals, it's like, it's like eating a crouton and then being good for the rest of the day, you know, or eating an apple and then going and play, playing on the football field, you know? Could you imagine? The Buccaneers would have been destroyed. I mean, no way. You cannot do that. You have to fill yourself up, and God's saying to you, how many of you are living in a place of partiality. And I've intended for you to have the whole thing. I've intended for you to have my life and my life more abundantly. I've intended for you to have it all. We see this in Jesus, in the fact that God gave his only son, that whoever believed in him would have everlasting life, right? Jesus said, I give you life and life more abundantly. But what did he say about those who desired this life? who desired to come after him. He said, those of you who desire to come after me, take up your cross. He says, literally, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow after me. He said also that if you don't love me in such a way that communicates that you hate everyone else, including your own life, you cannot follow me. You cannot be my disciple. And one of the most important ones he talked about with his disciples is that by how you sacrificially love one another, the world will know that you are truly my disciple, truly one who follows me. And I started really digging deep into my own story as well as the scriptures about this. We have been called into this new way of life, but so many of us have only seen glimpses of it and we have to ask the question, is it our methodology? Is it the books that we're reading? Is it our lack of reading scripture or lack of a prayer life or lack of fasting? Or is it that, is there something along the way that prevents us or challenges us to continue giving 
all of ourselves, is the gospel continuing to be costly or was it just costly at one time? Both, was it valuable at one time that you were willing to give everything? And is it to this day still valuable that you want to give everything? And if we were to be truly honest with ourselves, it's hard and it hurts. Listen, you can flap your jaws all day long about how much you love people. But do you know how hard it is to love somebody who betrays you? Do you know how hard it is to forgive someone who did something unjust to you? We live in a cancel culture culture, which leaves no room for forgiveness. I remember when this first became a reality to me. Reality to me. I uh, had uh, just really said yes to Jesus in my mid-20s. I said, you know, I'm going all in, Lord. Whatever you have for me, you're, you're Lord of my life. Yes. Not just in theory, not just in conversation, but in every part of my life. And I remember we were going <clears> to, <throat> we went to a Bible college. And uh, we were going to go on a mission trip. <clears throat> and on this mission trip, uh, they had promoted me to a leader. And so I was excited about that. And there was another guy that had been promoted to a leader, and we became really good friends. And so for months, we were just, you know, sharing each other's passions and our frustrations with the church and where things are. And we we're just being brutally honest with one another, encouraging one another. We thought, you know, we we're just sharpening one another. But then I found out that my buddy, my friend, was going and telling my leadership for this mission trip everything that I was saying. And so all of a sudden, I get demoted from my leadership position. Who gets demoted on a, lead, on a mission trip? I did. And uh, I, I, I could not understand why. And then I found out that this guy had been going behind my back, telling the leadership in concern for his brother, all of the things. And I, I mean, I'm talking betrayal. And I was like, I'm never talking to you again. Granted, I still had to go on a mission trip for 10 days with the guy. But we went on this trip, it was horrible, we come back, and the trip was great, but that moment with him wasn't good. I come back, and I'm just bitter. I just, I don't want to do anything with him. And then I notice me and God have some kind of disconnect. There's something that I'm not experiencing of his life that I'm like, you know, what's wrong, God? I need to read the Bible more, I need to pray more, I need to fast. All those things are important, I'm not saying they're not. But it was that kind of thing. Until I get into worship one moment gotta love our worship leaders they always take us there and if they're really trying to get you to the presence of God they're gonna take you there and then when you get there you realize oh I got issues <laughs> I gotta work through this and I remember the Lord saying to me you have not forgiven him and I was just like but do you know what he did to me and then he made this statement to me he said son everything he has done to you will be completely forgiven on the day he stands before me if he repents for his sins and I thought, again, do you know what he did to me? And it was in that moment that I made a decision to forgive him. Now, here's what happened. The first thing that happened was there was my heart was completely changed immediately. I started having joy again. I started actually liking this dude. Like, over the next couple days, I was like, this, this is great. And then the Lord said, let's prove that. I want you to go buy him gifts. And I was like, for what? He's like, to prove that really you believe in this thing. And so I have to go shopping. And as I'm shopping, I'm trying to find the discount stuff. And the Lord says, no, you buy him something that you want. It's going to cost you. And I end up giving it to him. He didn't even know that he hurt me. 
He didn't even know what he had done to me. Last summer, though, my wife and I went through a brutal season of betrayal, dishonor, disrespect, being taken advantage of by people that were like my spiritual children. And then I was faced with the trial again. And I had to first acknowledge there's no way I'm coming out of this where I didn't do anything wrong. I have to repent and apologize to God for what I did. But then all of these lies, the hypocrisy, the wickedness, the violence, I could take my phone and show you that you're not telling the truth because I have your text, I have your voicemails. And God said, yeah, but if this thing is valuable to you, then you're going to have to forgive them even when it hurts. You're going to have to love them even when they don't deserve it. Because I did that to you. And because I did that to you, now this is the new way of life that you should be living. I, I want to I leave you with this. Acts 7 talks about the first martyr, Stephen. Stephen in the Bible is described as a servant leader. He was full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs amongst the people, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And there arose a group that began to speak against him, that oppose him. And he begins to give a little sermon, if you will, from the days of Moses all the way up. And by the time he gets to essentially the present time, he begins to say to them, that you are stiff-necked people and that you always resist the Holy Spirit. You are not willing to see it any other way. And I look at this, and this last little section I wanted to read to you because I wanted to show you the mark of a true believer who says, it is worth it to give even my own life for the love of God to be revealed. It says in verse 54 that when these men heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see God and Jesus standing at the right hand and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God. Listen to this. He wasn't calling for his own life. He was calling on God, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he cried out with a loud voice, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I can't read that and, be, and not be convicted. I, I can't read that and see maybe there was something that Stephen saw about the gospel of Jesus Christ that we don't always see. That we don't see as valuable enough to give all of ourselves to. See, what we do is we ascend to these mountains and when we find a mountain that we, this looks good, I like this view. I don't think I'm going to go any higher. I'm going to stay right here. We're like, this looks great. But there's still so many more areas that God wants to take you along in this journey. He wants you to experience the fullness of his life. And how many of us are settling short for the fullness of what God intends for us to have? 
you know, and as I was praying for this message today, I, I came across three things that I felt specifically that God wanted to deal with today. Whether it's those in this room or those who are watching by video, I, I believe there is, there's three things that we need to repent of and we need to come before God and get right with this. It's unfaithfulness. If you've been disloyal to Jesus, because pride causes the neglect of following Jesus, which ultimately leads to or results in arrogance. The second thing that I wanted you to look at your life and say is a lot of what Pastor Zach was saying. Are you ungenerous? Are you selfish? A lack of giving is a result of an unwillingness to recognize God as the source of the, anything of value in your life. And the last one was this, was unforgiveness. Bitterness and resentment is a result of unforgiveness. And you've heard the old saying, hurt people hurt people. And I, and I realize when we talk about these things, we can't etherealize them. We have to make them very plain and very down to earth in our context. There's not a person in here who hadn't been hurt. There's not a person in here who hadn't been mistreated. There's not a person in here who hasn't experienced a lack of uh, loyalty, disloyalty in your life. But you are the only one who can prevent God's continual grace and the, the experiential grace of his life in your life. No one else can stop that flow because God cares that much about you. And I realize how many of us have been living this life, gone through, and we, and we started out a journey, whether your journey was two weeks ago or it was 25 years ago, and there was a moment where you kind of hit this rut in the road, and you're like, you know what, giving myself wholly to this thing, just, I just, it just ends up in hurt all the time and brokenness, and I'm tired of getting hurt. So I'm just going to just camp out here. And God's saying, hold up. There's a new way of life, and it will cost you everything. Because remember I said, if you desire to come after me, you have to deny yourself. Uh, come on, as silly as it is, the dead man does not react when you, you, you speak, hurl, you know, you hurl insults at them. You know, the people on the, on the, the they have the parent or, or somebody in their life that dies and they're shouting at the coffin. Uh, the person does nothing because they're gone. How many of us are not living like we're dead that we have been made one with Christ Jesus. We deny ourselves. We take up our cross and follow after Jesus. How many of us are not doing it because we've been hurt time and time again and have said, no more? And I'm here today to say that if we're going to go in a season of Lent, a season of repentance, reflecting on our lives, then we need to say, God, show me in those places that I am preventing your life flowing through my heart and my mind because of anything that has happened along this journey where I no longer consider your gospel costly, valuable. If you will close your eyes for just a moment, I wanna pray over you. I just wanna take a few moments as we're closing up here. And I'd like you to, to, to address that. Let, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about these areas and, and really be honest with yourself and with the Lord if these are things that you have neglected. Do you find yourself in a place where you're not truly following Jesus? You're following a teaching, 
You're following a book. You're following an author. You're following a scholar. You're following a podcast. You're following a politician. Because if you're following Jesus, then we should see the sacrificial love of Jesus in your life. Not with those that you love, those that are close to you, the people that hate you, the people that manipulate you and use you. You have to ask the question, are you, are you a giver? If, if you are not walking in close proximity to the heart of God and recognizing him being the source of all that is good and valuable in your life, you will be a stingy person. Christians should be the most giving people. And I would say lastly, which I thought was so important for today, because we all go through hurts and pains. If you got bitterness, resentment, when you think of certain people, you just get to, oh. When you see certain people, you try to avoid them. It's time to deal with that. Don't be preaching Jesus if you're not loving like he was. You forgive because you've been forgiven. I can never stand up here and say I'm perfect and look what I've done. And anybody who's done me wrong, it was their fault. But even if the majority of that was true, I love because I've been loved. I do unto others the way I would want to be treated. If I really did do that to them, how would I want to be forgiven? How would I want to be given a second, third, and fourth, fifth chance? The people of God should be the most forgiving people. Right now, I want you to, any of those three things, unfaithfulness, ungenerous, or unforgiveness. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would reveal those places in our heart. We want to repent. We want to turn the opposite direction. We want to release people in our hearts and minds that we have held captive, who have hurt us, who have wronged us, taken advantage of our businesses, our family, the ministry. We want to be people that are giving, loving to the worst, to those who have done us wrong. And God, I pray every single person here who is willing to hear that word from you, bring healing and restoration right now. Restore and redeem all things, all that has been lost, be restored. All that's broken down and been destroyed, let it be redeemed, built back up. We choose to believe that you are who you say you are. And you will continue to do what you say you will do and we will pursue your heart at all costs. We will lay down our lives for this gospel. A type of spiritual martyrdom for whatever you call us to, whatever context, whatever situation, whatever vision, whatever destiny. We lay down our lives for the message of Jesus to be revealed in the earth, in our life. Let our lives be that like the epistles. May we testify the goodness of God through our lives. I speak healing and peace over your minds right now in Jesus' name. I want to speak one more thing about this unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness. It's human nature to make your problem, your hurt, the situation bigger than the power of God. God transcends all of that. 
you ever feel like you look through the New and Old Testament and you're like, man, that was really ruthless, God. It's because he transcends that. Paul would say it like this. The sufferings that we go through now are not even worthy to be compared with the glories will be. They will be so wonderful, so great, that you can't even compare the worst of situations that you may go through. You have to see God and the power of God to heal and restore in your life as greater than any pain and hurt that you've been through. However you've been mistreated, abused, disrespected, dishonored, disloyalty in your life, the power of God is bigger, greater, and stronger, but you have to believe that God wants that for you. I'll leave you with this. The litmus test for that is when you begin to do good and pray for those who have mistreated you. And I'm not talking about, oh God, bring fire down and convict them of that wickedness. It's when you pray the blessing over them that you want for your own life. That's how I know, okay, well, I've finally forgiven this guy. When I'm like, oh God, give him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.